0: full front row. This is great. Thanks for what you said, Renee. It's really true. I was sitting over here. Sometimes I sit in the back, but I could hear everybody's voices. Pretty, pretty powerful. I hope you guys could uh, sense that as well. So good to be with you. This is great. Y'all feeling that? Okay, group hug. (laughs) All right. Well, I tell you, man, I'm When we're when we get anytime we're looking at the word, there's just nobody that's worthy of bringing the word to to people. I just there's it's so beautiful. There's so much there. I'm just gonna try to share with you a couple of thoughts about the most powerful story of all time, at the apex, the crux of it, uh, that we're studying today, which Lindsay just read a little bit uh, to us about. So um, we are uh, in a series that we're calling Above All Else. That's Jesus above all things, and we get it from the book of Colossians. He is above all else. And uh, we're going to look through the lens of Colossians back at the story of Jesus coming in to the city of Jerusalem. And so that's, that's kind of the setup for today and how it fits into our, our series. Um, but before I jump into that, I, I have to say, uh, to set up, when I was a, a kid, I used to go to, to school and I have like a sore neck, because I would sit in my bed with my head on a pillow and I'd read and read and read and read. I just loved to read uh, I, and to, to the point where it hurt me, you know. And uh, I think that some of that was because my dad would read to me. He would sit beside my bed and read all these stories and, and uh, then longer books and things. And then I got into that. And one of the things I liked to read the most was these mysteries. Like I'd read uh, Hardy Boys mysteries. I don't know if anybody's old enough to do that. Um, and uh, so I would reread them. I had a few of them, and I'd just kind of go through them, and I'd read other things, too. But those were some, those mysteries, I, I loved I don't know why. It, it was always a surprise, even though I knew what happened, you know, uh, somehow. Uh, but I was... You know, maybe I was drawn to that because my mom loved Agatha Christie. Anybody Agatha Christie fan? I don't know if there's any She had every single Agatha Christie book, and she read through them over and over and over again. So I don't know if that's where that came from. But I was thinking about this because the word mystery is critical in the, the, um, the passage that we're going to look at today. And uh, I thought, you know, is it not true that uh, all stories, all good stories at least, are in some way a mystery? you don't know what's going to happen next, right? They're not all mysteries like a murder mystery or something we might call a mystery, but a good story has some characters and then a problem and then the, the action rises and you have the crux, you know, in the climax of the story and you find out how it all worked out and then it moves on to the, to the denouement, right? So every story is revealing a little bit more at a time and we're interested. When we look back at the story of Jesus, we can see how it unfolded from the days of Genesis until that, that focal point in, uh, in history at the moment that we're talking about in John today. Um, this is the story, though. This mystery that Paul calls it is the story, the story of all time, the story for history, the story for all people. It is the most important, all history points to this moment, past history, future history, all points back to the crux of the story, which happens in this one week that we're looking at that Jesus is experiencing with the disciples and the people in Jerusalem. All history points there. Um, Josh McDowell was one of my, I don't know how much he writes these days, but he was a guy who inspired me in college, uh, who, who wrote a lot about how we can be confident that we can believe that Jesus is the son of God, and he died for us, uh, and that the resurrection was a real thing. And this there was something that was really key to his thinking that has stuck with me. I want to share it with you about that. He says that he's, he's the one that got me thinking, of, that is the crux of history. That is the middle of it all. That's where it all points to. Uh, he says this, if Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be and he did die on a cross at a point in time in history, then... For all history past and all history future, it is relevant because that is the very focal point for forgiveness and redemption. So if you organize your history around you know, uh, millennia or something or the birth of Christ or something, what he's suggesting is maybe we orient all history around this week that we're talking about and we're experiencing as we remember his entry into Jerusalem and his exit on the cross. So... Uh, we are in that crux moment. Uh, this is uh, this, this point where uh, people are, are, in. he's entering into the city of Jerusalem. And the thing about this is uh, the people that are cheering, that have the palm leaves, and if you've read the story, you know, there's, they're actually laying their cloaks down on the road, which seems pretty extreme. I mean, it was dirt, Right? They're, they're, uh, or gravel and all that. They're just putting their clothing on the road for him to walk on, or to ride his, this, uh, this donkey on. Uh, and Paul describes all of this as a mystery, as a mystery. Let me read to you uh, how he describes it in Colossians 1. There's this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now it's revealed to his saints. To them, God has God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, or all people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's talking about this thing that is the crux of the gospel. Uh, The thing about that day that was mysterious uh, is that these people were celebrating Jesus coming in, and they were expecting a king. They were expecting someone who would help them overcome the evil empire, right? They were celebrating. They were, uh, like I said, putting their, their clothing on the ground. Uh, they wanted a king who would have the political power, who would have economic power, military power even, and, and certainly religious power. In, in that, they would move above and beyond the Roman people or the Roman government. They were right to expect those things, The problem is that they misunderstood. They were far too short-sighted about what they wanted and what Jesus was bringing them. So here's what I want to ask you to think about. Are you, when you look at the mystery of this story, are you aligned with what Jesus is doing? Are you aligned with what you want him to do? Are you aligned with what Jesus is doing? Um. Do you have expectations of Jesus that are different than what he is bringing to you? So those early followers weren't wrong. They weren't wrong to be excited about the king entering in glory and bringing uh, radical peace. But what they were expecting was something very, very myopic, very self-focused and not about who he was. And so we need to ask ourselves as we look back at this, What am I hoping for from Jesus? What am I expecting? What do I see in the story, and how does it impact me? Am I on track with who he really is? So three points I want to take you through as we unfold this story in John. One is that they had an expectation of power. They had an expectation of majesty, and they had an expectation of radical change. So I just want to walk through those briefly with you. Uh, You know, they were right to expect power, they had an expectation that Jesus was going to enter with power and bring power. That was right. Uh, but the power they wanted was earthly. It had to do with themselves, what they wanted. Let me, uh, let me read this to you from verses 12 and 13 of chapter 12. The next day, a large, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem so they took branches of palm, which you guys have a little teeny, teeny, teeny piece of, because that's all that existed in Crested Butte. Um, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, which we just sang. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Even our future king, they were saying. You know, uh, what's happened recently in Jesus' life is that uh, he, he's sort of been ramping it up. There's more healing. He's just in particular, healed Lazarus. He's brought him back from the dead. So this news has gone out. It's a big story, right? And everybody's hearing about it. People are excited. This is, this is something special. And he's done some other things, that, other miracles. People are really turning to look at him. He's obviously uh, beginning the process of going to the very end. So he's entering the city. Uh, and if you read, I think it's even in John just right before this, uh, it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were seeing his power rising so quickly. They were like, we've got to do something about this. And here was one of the, here's one of their ideas. They said, why don't we go and kill Lazarus? Ever thought about that? I mean, <laughs> I, what would have happened? I don't know. You know, could they, could they have done it? Um, But that was part of their plan. I guess they gave up on killing Lazarus if they tried. We don't have the record of it. But that was part of what they were going to do. They were going to stop Jesus from gaining this power that everyone was expecting. And they were were, uh, saying the word Hosanna. And Hosanna just means this, simply means bring salvation now. Rescue us right now. Be our king right now. Right now, uh, there in that passage, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And that comes from Psalm 118. And what it is, is it was a, a song that people who were going to the Passover festivities in Jerusalem, which this is that time, would sing on their way. There was a sort of a prescribed thing that you would sing and just repeat as they walked. And they would sing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so it was very natural for them when they arrived in Jerusalem and this whole Holy Week thing for them is going on. Uh, they're with him and they're, they're singing Hosanna. Uh, the mystery of Jesus' power was unfolding. His, the attention was coming to him that was due him. The miracles that he was doing were on purpose to draw people towards himself. But rather than having their eyes on him and who he was and what he was doing, what the story of the, the whole scripture was telling, they just wanted what they wanted from him. Bring salvation to us now. And what they wanted obscured the truth of what he was bringing. I, I think, and I'll, maybe I'm just going to confess for myself, but maybe it's true for you too, uh, that uh, I am much like they are. They were. Um, I think we are perhaps much like them. And some things that don't change with people, with humans. uh, And it's probably something like this, that we want power. And I don't know if that makes you react. You're like, no, not me. I don't do that. Um, And maybe you don't. But uh, much of the power that we want is self-centered. It's focused on us and what we value. So we'll do almost anything to protect what's most important to us. And that means any number of things. Uh, We don't want to be oppressed, but we don't mind if other people are oppressed in the process of us finding the freedom to make our own decisions. Um, We want to make our own way forward, and we don't want anyone to stand in our way or tell us how it might have to be a different way. We want power for our race, for our gender, for our club, for our economic group, whatever it is, we want power. We want power. And we do it in public all the time. I probably don't need to explain that to you. But we also do it at home. We want power. We want to be in charge. We want to have our needs met in our homes. Um, Those people wanted a great nation. They wanted power. They wanted to be over the Roman people. They wanted to be over the Roman government. They wanted to be over the Roman militias. They didn't just want that, y'all. They wanted to dominate. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to have everything back that they had before. They assumed that the very best thing for them was to be in power. And so Jesus must be coming to provide power. And so my confession for you, to you is that I think that's what drives me a lot of the time. I want power. I want freedom to make my decisions. But Jesus was about a different kind of power than they were expecting. The power that Jesus was determined to bring was for all people, not just the Jews. So think about this with me. It was the power of reconciliation with God that he was bringing. That's a very different thing. They were going to be the conduit through which he would arrive, but they would not be the focus. They were just part of the story. They wanted power over their oppressors. Instead, Jesus was giving their oppressors the gift of entering their family by forgiveness and becoming brothers and sisters with them. You see how... Jesus' movement towards power was different from what the people wanted. It was a different kind of power. They wanted the wrong kind of power. Power that gave them something instead of what was attributed to Jesus, actually brought them into relationship with the one true God, which only Jesus could do. So they had an expectation of power. Second, they had an expectation of majesty, because that was a big part of what the Scripture talked about, of When we talked about this Messiah who was coming, what was this majesty that was was predicted and how did it work out? They wanted to see it because that was a part of the decoration of power. But they would have said that power cloaked in majesty was the ultimate power. You know, if you you had to look really good doing this, they wanted power ensconced in wealth and magnificence and respect. But then you have to wonder, how is it that they understood that? Because even in this passage in John we read that they knew that the the Scripture had foretold in Zechariah 9.9, I think, um, that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a mule. Now that doesn't add up, y'all, any more than it adds up today. I mean, what would we expect Jesus to enter crested Bute on? I think he would be in a jacked-up giant GMC diesel with a big, uh, like, beautiful snowmobile on the back, right? No offense to you guys who, like I know, would love to have. It's almost to you. No, I mean, you know, you, we just expect that this is the way that the, the things that we like are the things that are going to uh, show us What majesty, what's great, what's valuable. And Jesus, from the beginning, it has been predicted that the Messiah would come in on a donkey. Uh, And here's where uh, John references that in verses 14, 15. Jesus found a donkey, and you know how that story goes if you read the other gospel accounts. And he sat on it, just as is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let me read it to you from Zechariah. This is in 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, that's the Jewish people. Behold, your king is coming to you, king, in power. Righteous and having salvation is he, Hosanna, Here's what they forgot. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Messiah would arrive in Jerusalem on a donkey. That could never, ever indicate glory or majesty. It just couldn't do it. And he did come into Jerusalem on a donkey. See, Jesus' kind of majesty is different than what we expect. Jesus' kind of majesty is not cloaked in gold and glory and things that we think are awesome. His glory is cloaked in humility. Um, I wonder if it's really okay with us that Jesus' way to glory, to being the king was through humility and sacrifice in a world where power and getting our stuff and having our way and being satisfied in every way that we could possibly imagine being satisfied. uh, In in that world, how is it that we can be aligned with a Jesus whose whole movement towards the cross is cloaked in humility? Is he the Lord of self-preservation? Is he the Lord of getting my stuff, getting the feelings I want to have out of life? I'm not sure I'm aligned with his kind of majesty. And you, you, if you picture this scene and what Jesus knows and what they know, you have to imagine there was a lot of tension there because um, they're planning a throne of power and Jesus is planning a cross of humiliation, right? So they're throwing this, their, their uh, cloaks down, they're waving their palm fronds, they're doing what, you know, they're having this celebration. They're singing these songs. And Jesus doesn't stop and say, look, guys, you got it all wrong. He lives with attention as he is so determined to go to the cross. His majesty would be introduced through humility. Are we okay with that? So I'll, I'll ask you this. Are the greatest ends in your life, the ones that are right in front of you, the ones you want so bad right now and the ones you want in the future and even in the longer term, Are they characterized by humility? Because if if you want to lift up Jesus and He's who your Savior is, then you want what you want to align with what He is doing. So they were right to expect majesty, but it was different than, than they expected. So power, majesty, but they also expected radical change. They thought something drastic was going to happen, and they were right. Uh, here's something they knew about the Messiah. You guys remember this from Isaiah 11? This is uh, a passage we've read before. I'm going to just skip through it but hit a couple highlights. This is some of the radical change they were looking for. They'll show, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's the father of David. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In verse 6, And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. It's a change. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. In that day, verse 10, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is radical change. All of us know that if the lion lies down with the lamb, if the child is leading the, the leopard and all that, I mean, this is radically different, a bringing of peace. That was unheard of power. Who could bring that? Like I said before, they were thinking that all of that peace was being brought just for them. It was about them, their power, their redemption, their king, their majesty, their power over other people. It was about a single people group having a power over their oppressors who wanted what they wanted. They misunderstood. And I wonder if that's why Paul might have called it a mystery. Have you ever wondered why Paul would call the story of Jesus, especially this gospel part that's so critical, a mystery? I mean, is it supposed to be misunderstood? Was it supposed to be misunderstood? Um, I don't think that the gospel story was purposefully hidden or confusing. Like you might watch a murder mystery on TV, and things are confusing just to throw you off track. He had laid it out for the people, and they had looked at the story through their own lenses. Because we can look back now and see the whole thing unfold. They had the information that they needed. They had Jesus entering on a donkey, right? But they still resisted that. Remember, it says that the disciples didn't even understand. His closest followers didn't understand until after the resurrection. They just wanted something else. We had this experience as parents, and some of you guys have had this, uh, like when you have your first kid And it's like Christmas. They're like two years old, and and you get them this really great present. Or you you tell, like, mom, their grandparents to get them this awesome present. They're going to love it. So you're too poor to to buy the fancy present. So your mom does. And the box and the thing. And then later in the day, um, you come into the living room, and there's that awesome toy. And there's no kid because the kid is in the box. Um, we, we miss sometimes what Jesus was all about. Uh, the disciples were still fighting about who was going to sit next to the ruling Jesus the following Friday night. They were playing around in the box. Uh, so here's what I think the mystery really is. Right before I said, I think mystery, any story can be a mystery because you don't know what's happening next until it's unfolded before you. I think the mystery is really about Jesus' unfathomable actions. That is a mystery. His patience, mercy, and love of a wayward, self-focused people. It's a mystery because we're shocked by a solution to the problem that we could have never imagined. So, the actual radical change is peace between us and God, not power over our enemies. Do you see what I'm saying? The actual radical change is not that we have everything we want and we have a cabin at the front of the ship or the highest point, we can see everything. That's not not what it is. Radical change, the thing that we need the most, is not what we think we want. It's peace between us and God. It's the peace reflected in that passage in Isaiah 11. So let me let me close with this, and maybe the band, the crew, can come on back up. Um, perhaps you're looking for a pathway to be in control. I know I am. I like to plan. I like to know what's coming. I like to have things the way I like to have the- That's just that that sort of micro look at it, but it goes all the way out. I want everything I have to be protected, all my people to be protected, all of you to be protected. I want this place to be protected. I want our ministry to be protected. I want everything to go the way I want it to go. I have a plan. Perhaps you have similar plans. Um, I want those things now, and I don't want them to change. And we want things to be that way. We want to be in control when we don't know Jesus, and when we do know Jesus. This week, a friend of mine and I were reading in Romans, and we were just we were seeing how Paul was saying, "You know what? I'm still full of sin, but I know I'm redeemed by Jesus. That's the difference. It's not about me. It's about what He did, and that's what all of this is about. What He did. Let's go back to uh, Colossians one. This mystery was hidden for ages. In generations, and it's now revealed to his saints, his followers, us. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that is, among all the people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. By faith, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, the one who brings us all of those things, the things we so deeply desire, But they are all His. And having Him in us by faith because of the cross that He went to with determination, uh, that's a mystery, but having Him is the real hope of power and glory and majesty. So, are you aligned with what He is doing or what you want